from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Whether you call it Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida, or something else, one thing is for sure. This showdown in Jacksonville is going to be huge. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. It's a rivalry unlike any other, mostly because of its unique setting in Jacksonville, and the next chapter in the storied history of this series will be written this weekend with major implications on both sides. For Georgia, a win would save their season and give them control of their destiny to reach the SEC championship game. For Florida, a victory all but wraps up the SEC East and keeps them in the running for the college football playoff. We'll attack this matchup from all sides this week by chatting with junior Joey Ivey about the defensive line's plans to stop the stout Georgia ground game, find out how new running backs coach Tim Skipper has helped Kelvin Taylor take his form to the next level, and get Scott Carter's take on the Bulldogs and the keys to winning in Jacksonville. But first, you constantly hear people talk about how special the Florida-Georgia game is, and there are countless witnesses who will testify to that effect. But since we can't get all of them in a room at one time, we felt the Gator IMG Sports Network team of Mick Hubert and Lee McGriff represented a pretty solid sample size. Between the two of them, they've been a part of this rivalry for nearly half a century, and in that time have come to expect the unexpected. Whatever the pregame expectations are, it rarely ever happens. It's almost expect the unexpected in this game, no matter what the records are, no matter who's favored. uh, There's been some crazy things that go on in this series, and that's what lends itself to the uniqueness of it, plus the the 50-50 crowd split, which means someone is always cheering throughout the entire game, and that's what makes it also special. I played in this game for three years and coached in it for five years and been broadcasting it a bunch of years and seen a bunch more, and what Mick just describes is exactly right. I've never really been in an environment as unique as that because it is 50-50, but it's not just 50-50. It's a passionate 50-50 The game really matters. I can tell you that for the players, even when they don't grow up knowing about this game, it doesn't take them long to know, to feel. This really matters. And it's broken uh, teams' hearts on certain years. Teams have been incredibly excited about what the victory meant and where it took them, whether it took them to an SEC championship or a national championship. There have been magical plays forever in this game. There have been some bizarre moments that – colored the game, and I just don't know if with all the rivalries like FSU, used to be Auburn, but this one is unique because of the deep tradition, but also where it's played, and you know, you can feel it in the pregame. What memories really take hold when you think about Florida-Georgia games? Well, again, you only have to rewind just 12 months ago to look at last year's Florida team that goes up there and, and runs for 418 yards on a Georgia team that was 6-1 and one and stout defense and highly ranked. You go back in, in the, the 1993 game over at the old Gator Bowl, uh, a monsoon rainstorm and Danny Werfel complaining to Steve Spurrier that he couldn't get a grip on the ball, couldn't couldn't feel it, couldn't throw it. and. Steve told him, go sit down, put Terry in there, and Terry Dean goes in there and basically handed the ball off to Eric Rett, who ran 41 times 
for well over 200 yards in the game and played in the mud, and we sloshed our way to that win. That was certainly a big one. I think a year prior to that, Judd Davis kicked four field goals in the mud where you didn't know if a kicker could get his plant foot steady, and he booted four field goals uh, to those north uprights, and uh, the Gators win that game. So, you know, there had been a lot of great ones, and, of course, as Lee played in one, and what was it, Lee, in 1973, where you had the big touchdown reception, and it was a shootout that game, wasn't it, Lee, something like 10 to 9? Something just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, 11 to 10. 11 to 10. <laughs> um, you, you know, going back, I can remember Jimmy Dunn in, in, the, in the late 50s. Uh, I was awfully young, but he had a, made about 11 Georgia guys miss him, and, and Florida wins the game. Richard Trapp, in, I think it was 1967, also made a magical run weaving through the Georgia defense to help with a, with a, a Florida victory. The three games that, that I played in, we lost 10-7 to at, at the end of the game with Georgia hitting a field goal. We beat them the next year as 11-10, to <laughs> and that was with a couple minutes on the clock and a fourth down situation, and we hit it and then have to go for two, and we do it. Come back in 1974, we're ranked sixth in the, in the nation and have a chance to win the SEC, and Georgia beats us 17-16. to It came down to the end of the game, going for two, just like the previous year. We didn't make it that year. I was coaching in the Lindsey Scott game where that's 1980, and if Florida wins, we probably win the SEC. Instead, Buck Ballou, who could not throw a pass from me to you, you're two <laughs> feet away from me, hits Lindsey Scott, and he legs it for the touchdown, breaks our heart, and Georgia wins the national championship. That was Herschel Walker's time. And it just keeps going with all the mixed memories in more recent years, and it just has such a, a noted history of, of great plays. In fact, the Georgia-Florida game has a Hall of Fame. There's not many games by themselves that have a Hall of Fame, so that's how rich the history and tradition is. Going back to when Coach Spurrier was here, uh, he was so driven uh, basically what Lee had said earlier, by that defeat in, in 66 that cost Florida an SEC title then, and uh, the series was really unbalanced uh, with Georgia's great run that they had through the 80s there and everything. And when Steve came in, he said, we got to win for a lot of years. we got to win a lot of years in a row to get back to it. And sure enough, he pretty much set out and, and did that, and Florida was able to kind of close the gap a little bit. But Steve never got tired of, of beating Georgia because it's, it went back to – almost his, his teenage years, <laughs> that that hurt was still so evident to him. You know, Mick, th- those of us that have played and coached in that series, you get it. You get why Steve felt that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've ever been, when something really was on the line, you've been a part of that, you don't want to lose that game. And his passion to do that since 1990, so this game will be the 25th game. Georgia's only won six, I believe, since that time. That's mind-blowing. Because prior to 1990, that's not the way it was. In the 60s, I think the Gators won six times. In the 70s, three times. In the 50s, I think less than that. So this dominance is unusual. There have been so many strange things that have happened in this game that we've talked about, and even something from a coaching perspective that would be unheard of in, in today's day and age. In 1968, the Gators were supposed to have a special season. Had a running back named Larry Smith, who, in my mind, is still one of the all-time greats. Florida was struggling that year. 
And before the Georgia game, the coaches were kind of at each other's throats because things weren't going the way they wanted them to. And so Coach Graves, either on a Sunday or Monday before the Georgia game, decides he's had enough of people griping on the staff. So he tells the offensive coordinator, you're the defensive coordinator for the Georgia game, and vice versa. Can you imagine that would have been on SportsCenter every two seconds for a month? And the outcome was of that decision Florida absolutely got hammered, and I think the score was 50-something to nothing. It it was just a beating. Unbelievable, but again, part of the Georgia-Florida history. You've been through a lot of first times in this game for coaches. What's it going to be like for Jim McElwain leading his team on the field and experiencing everything that goes in this game for the first time? I think he's well-studied and well-schooled on this. Uh, Earlier in the week, he mentioned that he'd been in some big ones, and he noted... uh, New Montana, Montana State. For us out here, we may raise an eyebrow, but for him, uh, that kind of sticks in his craw, much the way Florida, Georgia stuck in Steve Spurrier's craw, the, the outcome of those games. So you go from Montana, Montana State to uh, Michigan, Michigan State, when he was with the Spartans, experiencing that rivalry from that perspective. And then, of course, when he was at Alabama going against Auburn. So he's had three pretty good tastes of what this is like. I think Jim McElwain knows that this is, this is a huge game, no matter what the records are, but then in particular to how far the Gators have come in a short period of time, what it means to Florida. Can't necessarily win the East by a victory in this game, but can put themselves right on the doorstep of claiming an Eastern Division title in his first year when the team was picked for about fifth. So uh, it's a big game for everybody, and I think uh, Jim McElwain is aware of that. Lee, having coached, played, broadcasted, watched this game from the stands, how do you prepare someone to be in this environment for the first time? I really liked what Coach McElwain said. He kind of surprised me in that he admitted, is this game mean a little extra to you? Mostly the coach speak is, this is just another game. And as Mick just described, he actually said, yes, this is a special game. And what he says is right. You'll feel the energy as a player or a coach. What you have to do to prepare, though, is focus on what you got to do. You know, you can't get too lost as a player and a coach, but you feel it. And all of the hoopla that surrounds it, it's undeniable. Those guys will feel it. And I do think he'll address it by saying you're getting ready to go into an extraordinary environment, but you got to do your job. You have to focus on what what your responsibilities are and do it well. And that's where you got to keep your head. Now that we've established how significant this game is, let's pause for a Gator Tales trivia challenge. The Florida-Georgia game has played a critical role in deciding the SEC East winner in recent years, and it's rare for the loser of the game to make it to Atlanta. So the question is, when was the last time the loser in Jacksonville played for the SEC title? Email your answers to gatorspodcast at gmail.com or tweet at gatorspodcast by 11.59 p.m. on Monday night, and one randomly selected winner will receive a gift certificate to the online Gator Sports Shop. Last week, we asked you, in what city was the first-ever Florida-Georgia game contested? The answer was Macon, Georgia, in 1904, and our randomly selected winner was Ed Q. Thanks for playing, and good luck to everyone this week. Moving on, one of the biggest reasons for Florida's success this season has been the impressive play of the defensive line. In the Gators' wins, they've handled the run and gotten after the quarterback to the tune of over three sacks per game. But both of those areas were a struggle against LSU, and how well Florida bounces back from that performance will be an important storyline in Jacksonville. 
We had a chance to talk to junior Joey Ivey, and the defensive lineman told us how the Gators improved during the bye week. I feel like the team worked on little things that we needed to fix during the season. You know, like people worked on technique, and I mean, we got more film, you know, on just football. Uh, you know, we definitely, you know, came together as a team and said, look, we have this adversity here. You know, Will's not playing with us. You know, we have Treon now, and, you know, we're all going to rally around him. And everyone has adapted really well, and I still sense the same thing I have from the first six games. How quickly did the disappointment from LSU wear off, or is it still there to some degree as fuel to move forward? It was a huge disappointment to a lot of us because of how many little things could have fixed that game you know could have given us the win but we got done with the game a lot of people realized like I mean hey guys we just lost you know we got to fix what what happened and come into this Georgia game and keep playing like we did these first six games. What was it like for you personally being injured not being able to be out there and help the team in in Tiger Stadium what was it like for you on the sidelines and and how did you still find ways to help the team? I'm not gonna lie man I mean it sucks to be on the sideline just watching but at the same time I feel like I was just talking my teammates up and you know helping some of the younger guys like Kerry Clark and Taven Bryan a lot of the guys going in you know giving them the little pointers and look I see what this guy's doing you need to do this you know I feel like I was almost like a coach instead of a player at that point I was just doing everything I could to help the team. The line was so dominant against Ole Miss and then against Missouri but not quite as much against LSU when you guys went back and watched the film what did you see that was different? A lot of people were trying to make big plays instead of kind of like working together but you know, they're just they're little things that can be fixed. And Ray Lewis once said, you know, all little things have to great things. So I feel like if we critique the little things, you know, we could potentially have something great. You've gone through a lot this year on and obviously off the football field with the, the loss of your sister. Can you talk about the way that football and specifically your teammates have helped you cope with, with such a, a terrible tragedy? You know, when my sister passed away, I kind of, you know, my whole family went to a little funk you know, for like two weeks. It was real hard to cope with everything. And I was at home dealing with all that. And you know, I was there for my family. And my town back at home in Dade City really rallied around us and helped bring us up. And coming back to Florida and just getting in the, the weight room and running and Going to school and being around positive friends, you know, helped me get through a lot of this. And she's definitely been a motivation for me throughout the off season and throughout the season. I mean, those fourth downs, those third downs when you're tired, the fourth quarter when you're tired, you know, I, I typically just look up and think about her. She's definitely motivated me in ways that, I mean, I didn't think I could be motivated in. You know, but it's just like, you know, you lose someone special. It's always going to be a pain. You're always going to have that scar. I mean, you're always going to miss that person. And, I mean, there's nothing really you can do about that but to keep moving forward. How much has it helped you to have your younger brother on the team as a freshman to have that support there for you as well? That's helped a lot. You know, I don't necessarily feel like I need the support. I feel like I'm the kind of person that I want to support him and I want to support my family and I want to put others in front of me. And I'm just glad he's here because I can look out for him and make sure that he's doing okay. And speaking of supporting other people as well, a really cool story on Gator Zone by Scott Carter about your relationship you formed with the Knapp family who went through a similar tragedy. Talk about how that all came about and and what you were able to do to to help them as well. Well, there's actually a lady from my town in Dade City. She reached out to me on Facebook, and she was telling me about this this child who got in an ATV accident and how the family was just distraught and everything, that he was a huge Gator fan, and that he looked up to me and a bunch of other guys on the team. And... uh, 
I reached out to their family and told them, you know, I was there for them if they needed anything because I've been going through a similar situation. I ended up getting their numbers. I gave them a call. I talked to the mom, the dad, and the son, and, you know, I was just telling them that, you know, the Florida Gators are behind you guys and that I told them that I've been in a similar situation and that you just got to keep each other strong, keep each other positive, and you got to know that God doesn't make mistakes and you got to work with each other to keep moving forward. And, you know, just those little words really helped them, I feel like, because to them, the Florida Gators was like, you know, their son's, you know, idol. So that's one memory that they'll always have. Just having that connection with them, I guess it, it really showed them that people care. And so when I went to LSU and saw them, it was like real emotional for them. I, I guess it's just because they just felt that other people cared. You know, some people just need to know that people care about them. Coming up this week, Florida, Georgia. What does Florida, Georgia mean to the players? Oh, man, Florida, Georgia is just a huge rivalry game. You know, you cross that bridge and you see one side all these Florida Gators, the other side all these Georgia Bulldogs. And, you know, the atmosphere is great. Um, it's unlike most atmospheres people get to even be blessed to play in. You know, it's, it's just a great game because no matter what, the team's record is what they're they're ranked, you know, 11th in the country. They could be 50th in the country. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be a tough fighting game because it's it's been that way for years. How do you prepare freshmen to play in this game, or can you only really understand what it's like when you have that experience yourself? You know, that's a tough question. The true way to experience it is playing in it in the past. But then again, all a freshman needs is a couple plays to sense how the atmosphere is, and they'll adapt to it. You know, one thing about being a Florida Gator is we play in the swamp, and that atmosphere, I'll tell you, is like no other atmosphere. And if you can play in the swamp, there's no reason why you can't play in Jacksonville. When you look at Georgia on film as you prepare for this game, what stands out to you about their offense? Where are they dangerous? Georgia's always been a little dangerous in the run game. You know, we just... We got to fit our blocks. Um, we got to play fundamentally sound defense, and just got to play as a team. You know, it's I mean, it's football. At the end of the day, I mean, anything can happen. But if we do our job and play like we're supposed to play, I think we'll be okay. How exciting is it knowing that if you win this game, you are absolutely in the driver's seat, controlling your destiny to go to Atlanta? I mean, that's that's an unbelievable feeling, man. Every game we've won this season, I've like looked up and I'm like, man, you know, I feel like. You know, I feel like my sister's looking out for us, and the situation we've been put in, I mean, is, is a blessing because no one expected us to be where we're at right now, and I think everybody on the team knew that. But sometimes you gotta believe to achieve, and you know, we've definitely proven a lot of people wrong. In last year's stunning upset of the Bulldogs, the Gators used a bruising ground game to rack up 418 rushing yards. While it's unlikely that Florida will approach that number this year. Jeff Cardozo caught up with running backs coach Tim Skipper to talk about how they'll look to carve up the Georgia defense. The first week of the bye weeks, um, you, you really work on fundamentals and getting ourselves better. And then the second week is now get ready to play Georgia. And a lot of it is like getting the energy level back up, you know, tweaking the game plan a little bit that specifically works just for Georgia, hoping that we see the dividends pay off. And last year it did. I'm sure you've watched that probably uh, numerous times on how you guys dominated uh, on the ground game last year. Probably hard to duplicate that, but what are some of the things you see that you can maybe take advantage of? You know, a, a lot of our 
run game is all about us being on the same page. And I think we've had two weeks to get some things fine-tuned and ready to go. And Kelvin's done, done a nice job. I know you guys have talked about him running behind his pads instead of just going side to side and, and trying to make some moves. So what has been some of the things you've taught him to, to try to make him aware of what he needs to do to be successful? You know, we just talk about running behind your pads. I mean, that's the main thing. Just run behind your pads and, and good things will happen for you. You know, sometimes you got to run through guys. Sometimes you got to shake them, make them miss. Just run behind the pads and make a full speed decision you'll be fine he's been a real workhorse and you see him in the locker room before and after the game he's kind of a character he's getting after it having fun maybe not that much uh, on the field so what's his demeanor like during games uh during games he's locked in he's pretty into it you know he's a guy that is constantly telling me all right this is what the defense is doing that type of stuff i think this will work that'll work this won't work you know getting good info that way and then obviously he gets excited when he gets those big runs or he makes a big play or we make a big play so he's a joy to have to coach and and uh, it always keeps me on my toes. It seems you guys have, have a lot of trust in him. He's, he's gotten a ton of carries the last few weeks, so it's like a little workhorse. Definitely. He's done a good job of buying into the program, taking care of his body in the offseason and during season, and he showed that he can handle a workload that we're giving him. Uh, let's talk about the, the two Jordans. Obviously, freshmen, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs during freshman year. What, what's their process been like? They had some injuries, flu, all that other stuff, uh, but now you're, you're basically midway through the year. How, how do you think they're coming along? I think they're coming along great. You know, they went through the normal freshman stuff that you always do in, in training camp and then the first couple weeks of the season but I think now they're hitting their peak and they understand the demands that's placed on being a Florida Gator and I think you will finally start to see those guys play a little bit more comfortable and get out in the field a little bit more also. What are some of the things that they've had to work on? Is it pass protection? Is it understanding the offense or is it a whole mixture of everything? Understanding the offense is first and then second is just knowing the system that we run here and the demands that it puts on you. The offense as you can see is it's not easy you know we're changing constantly and you have to be able to know what you're doing today so that tomorrow you can go to the next level in the offense and if you don't if you don't go on those steps and you kind of get lost in the shuffle so I think those guys have adapted to our program very well and I think they have caught up and they're ready to go now. George's a team I think you remember in the game last year they, they blitzed a ton and did some things uh, this year what do you see uh, out of this Georgia defense? Very active very active. They have good players. They rely on their front four up front. I mean, they, they get hands on the line, and then the rest of the guys use their speed and run through the open holes. Um, I think their secondary does a good job of handling all their bracket coverages and that type of stuff. This is going to be a good defense. It's going to be a good challenge, and uh, we're looking forward to it. You were a, a linebacker in college. What, what's the difference of being a linebacker and now trying to coach running backs? Are you just basically tell them, you know, hey, I had that perspective going to hit you, and now i got to tell you how to not get hit. Definitely. It's very similar, you know, in simple terms. I mean, it basically all it is is the, the linebacker sees an open hole, he's going to fit, fit it and tackle you. The running back sees an open hole, he's going to hit it, and he's going to hopefully run over you. I mean, it's kind of the same stuff. You know, the difference is pretty much just learning protections and knowing your check downs in the pass game. But other than that, it's very similar. And what are the in-game adjustments like? I know you're down on the field talking to those guys. Do you see stuff that doesn't work in the first quarter that you can change now in the third quarter, vice versa? Like, how many adjustments are made throughout a game? Every single time we come off the field, we're already working on, all right, we can do this, we can do that, every single time. And then once we figure out, all right, this is what works, and then once the defense catches up to it, then we're going to change it again. So you're constantly changing and making different tweaks to what you're doing already. And the coaching part of it is we're pretty much it's just a mental mind game for us. That's all it really is, and the players handle all the physical stuff. As is the case in most years, Florida and Georgia both enjoyed bye weeks leading up to their meeting in Jacksonville. 
So before we talk specifically about the Bulldogs and the weapons they'll bring to the table, we asked Gators' own senior writer Scott Carter how the Gators benefited from their week outside the spotlight. Well, Adam, they used the week to, first of all, get healthy. They're getting some players back. But also, Jim McElwain spoke about how they really self-scouted. He used an interesting term. I thought that they looked at themselves the way an opponent might look at them. can only benefit them in a big game like this in terms of Florida's a team that has obviously been a surprise team. They're probably not the team that most people figured them to be. So now... Maybe they're getting a closer look by other coaches and what exactly is going on there at Florida. So McIlwain kind of turned that on themselves this week. One of the big questions that Gator fans have going into this game is what is the offense going to look like with two weeks for Treon Harris to get ready to lead this team? What are your expectations for what that's going to look like on Saturday? In some ways, it'll probably look like LSU, but maybe just more efficient with Treon doing some things. I mean, they did roll him out of the pocket a lot. Uh, they used more play action and then they had with Will Greer. And those are things that can help him just to give him more time uh, in the pocket and also to get out with his feet where he's most dangerous on the edges and the you know some of those zone read plays that we've seen. I, I think you're still going to see what they've used with Treon in the past, but you got to remember he didn't play much. Uh, he didn't take a snap or throw a pass for four weeks there as Greer really asserted himself. So it was a chance to Treon to kind of reclaim his position. Hey, I'm starting quarterback and guys to kind of just get used to that. And, you know, maybe some time to gel and work out some of the things that they didn't like uh, at LSU. On the Georgia side offensively, no Nick Chubb. That's the headline. But as Jim McLean was quick to point out, two very explosive backs in Keith Marshall and Sonny Michelle, and, and a quarterback in Grace Lambert that hasn't really wowed people, but he's been sort of a game manager for the Bulldogs. Yeah, exactly, Adam. He's come under some pressure from the fan base because this was a Georgia team that you know was ranked in the top 10 to start the season. They've been a disappointment in some ways, and, and Lambert as the quarterback is always going to take some heat. But, you know, you look at his numbers, uh, he's not done too bad. He is a good game manager, and he had a great running back in Chubb to rely on. him. When you lose that kind of player, it does alter your offense, so they're, they're expecting more out of Lambert. But two guys you mentioned, uh, Sony Michelle and Keith Marshall, both very talented backs. Uh, not exactly Nick Chubb, but Florida coming off facing, to me, the best running back in the country in Leonard Fournette, you know, They've done well against the run, really, this season, other than against Fournette, but no one's done well against Fournette. So uh, they're going to be challenged with Sony Michelle and Keith Marshall, but it's a, it's a challenge, I think, this Florida defense with a very deep defensive line and a you know, good linebacker play recently with Jared Davis and Antonio Morrison. You know, I, I can see Florida winning that battle, but at the same time, you can never uh, take your eyes off those two guys too often. And if you let Lambert throw... Guess who's still there? <laughs> Malcolm Mitchell, who uh, leads the team in receiving yards, 505. And, uh, you know, it's a guy who's been very uh, prominent in Georgia's offense, it seems like, forever. But he's a senior. No more of him next year, but he's still there this year. Running backs, obviously, it's horrible what happened to, to one of the best players in college football. You hate to see that. And I know he'll come back 100% when he's able to. But you know what? They've got a couple other pretty good guys, uh, Michelle and Marshall, who are both you know, highly recruited guys that, you know, have stepped in. And obviously the thing that kind of stands out as you watch it is their overall team speed. 
you're talking about the running game for Georgia. The running game for Florida also is going to be really important. Boiling all that down, what are your keys to this game? The running game is going to be very important. We all kind of remember what happened last year. Florida goes into that game a heavy underdog. Somehow they managed 400 yards of rushing. Treon Harris only had to throw the ball six times all day. I expect, fully expect him to throw more than six times in McElwain's offense. But at the same time, they're going to have to get the running game going. That starts with Kevin Taylor, obviously. Uh, but we haven't seen a lot of Jordan Cronkite and Jordan Scarlett lately as Taylor has emerged as the clear-cut number one. So maybe they uh, they turn to those guys some to give Georgia a different look, a bigger size backs than Taylor. But also, I mean, Treon Harris is going to play an important part in the running game. Uh, that's kind of uh, his M.O., uh, he needs to get outside, and you know I wouldn't be surprised at all for him to have some design runs. But certainly, uh, Florida's running game needs to get untracked because they've been kind of uh, stuck in mud recently. Should be a great environment. I'm really excited to be part of something that uh, you know carries as much history, uh, nostalgia. That's what college football is all about. Didn't matter what part of the country you grew up in, you knew the Florida Georgia game. It was going to be a national televised game. And uh, you kind of set your calendar by it, and, and that's that's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to coming over that Hart Bridge and, and seeing what this thing looks like. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Don't forget to submit your trivia answers by emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com or tweeting at GatorsPodcast before Monday night at 11.59 p.m., And we also encourage you to contact us using those same outlets to let us know what you think about Gator Tales and what you want to hear in the future. In the meantime, Florida Georgia is almost upon us and kicks off Saturday at 3.30 at Everbank Field. You can watch the game on CBS or listen to live coverage beginning at 12.30 on the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will focus on the Gators' homecoming date with Vanderbilt. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. And I'll see you in Jacksonville.